I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Grab your Bible. Would you do that? We are a Bible church. We believe in the teaching and preaching of the Scriptures. And so we just uh, spent a couple Sundays about freedom. Uh, Last Sunday, after I finished up my sermon, I went to eat lunch, and I was sitting in the restaurant, and this guy walked by me, and he had this shirt on. And so I asked him where he got it, and so I got me one. And I told my wife, I said, you know what, I'm going to wear that. I called my brother this morning up in South Carolina. I said, Chip, I'm doing something today that I haven't done in 31 years of ministry. And he thought a minute, and he could just not think of what that would possibly be. And I said, I'm wearing a hoodie to church. I'm wearing a hoodie to church. And so he said, oh, my word. I said, yeah. So uh, anyhow, Pastor John told me there a minute ago, he said, man, the, the teenagers love it that you got a hoodie on today. And and I said, you know, I should have wore my Jordans, you know, but I didn't want to go too far because some of you uh, some of you would have thought, man, he's going through a midlife crisis or something, all right? We're starting today a new series in the book of Joshua. I hope you'll open your Bible to that. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 uh, in a series that we have entitled Heading Home, Heading Home. If anybody knew anything about bondage and slavery and oppression, it was the children of Israel as they spent over 400 years in Egyptian bondage. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, God told me to tell you, let my people go. And I won't go through all the twists and turns of that story, but you know eventually they are released from Egyptian bondage. What should have taken about 12 or 13 days to make a journey to the promised land ended up being 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, I know you and I look at that and we go, man, what a bunch of knuckleheads. But the truth is, if we'd all be honest, we all know what it's like to drift and wonder, don't we? 40 years, a lot of twists and turns as Moses led God's people on this journey uh, to the promised land. I'll share more about that in just a minute, but let's focus in uh, for just a second on the name of the man that this book is named after, and most scholars say that he wrote Joshua, although uh, there are a couple of sections where uh, probably someone else uh, wrote that uh, for him. The name Joshua is not the name that he was given when he was born. Uh, His family named him Oshea, Oshea, a J-A-H was added to that in the Hebrew. It is Yehoshea, which incidentally is the same Greek translated into the Greek is the name for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When you look in the Old Testament, there are many different types of Christ. Now, we have to be careful with that. You know, sometimes we get a little bit zealous or we read into certain parts uh, to try to maybe see something that's not there, but there are other places where it is just clear as a bell that we see types of Jesus in the Old Testament, and Joshua is one 
of those types. He's mentioned in 10 books of the Bible, mentioned by Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and then mentioned again in the book of Hebrews. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 16, Moses changes Joshua's name. From Yehoshea, he names him Joshua. Joshua is the son of Nun. It's just interesting in the Bible that it mentions 30 times who his daddy was. He's the son of Nun. We don't know anything about Nun, but we know he had a pretty good son. His name was Joshua. First Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 27 shows us that Joshua was the firstborn in his family. What was the significance of that? Well, Joshua grew up in slavery. He grew up in bondage. And so as a child, he certainly saw the, the pressure, the oppression that was placed on his family, uh, the hard work that his mom and dad had uh, to go through. And then came the day when Pharaoh uh, sent out a decree that all of the firstborn uh, in the land, their lives would be taken. And you know the story. That's the night where the blood is put over the doorpost, and the death angel uh, passes over every family that's covered in the blood. Man, there's so many beautiful pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Well, Joshua lived in one of those families. He was the firstborn, and his life was spared. It was spared for a reason. God had a plan for his days. Joshua spent time in preparation, even as a child, in his young adult years. He went through hardship that prepared him for Exodus chapter 17. Uh, the children of Israel were down close to Mount Sinai, and the moment came where they had to go to war with the Amalekites. The first time Joshua is mentioned in the Bible, Moses says, Joshua, I want you to lead this campaign. I want you to look out among the people, and I want you to pick out the best soldiers, and I want you to go and fight against the Amalekites. Joshua did that, and the Scripture says Joshua overwhelmed the Amalekites. No doubt he had some skill in battle and, uh, and know, knew how to go into war and to defeat them, of course, with God's help. Exodus 17, 14 says something interesting. God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to take a book, and I want you to write down everything that just happened. And here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to go over it. I want you to rehearse it, which means, of course, over and over and over again. I want you to rehearse it with Joshua. And why did God tell Moses to do that? Here's what I believe. I believe that part of Joshua's preparation for the task ahead, he needed to be reminded of the mighty works of God. How many of you found in your Christian journey it's easy for you to forget the mighty works of God? It's easy. It's easy for all of us to forget his blessings. We see the bad stuff, the negative stuff. The, uh, we tend at times to fall into complaining, and we, we forget what God has done. Why did God want Moses to rehearse this with him? I'll tell you why. Because God had some big things ahead for Joshua. Del Ralph Davis said this, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, forgetting what God has already done. Moses comes to Mount Sinai, right? He goes up 
uh, to receive the 40 uh, the commandments. He's up there for 40 days, the 10 commandments, and he takes Joshua with him. And Joshua, at a certain point, was told to just sit here and wait. I'm going to go up and visit with the Lord. And it says something about Joshua that he waited 40 days, 40 days in patience while Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments of the Lord. When they come down from the mountain, it's Moses and Joshua. Joshua says, Moses, I hear music coming from the camp. It sounds like war. And what did they find when they got down to the bottom? They found that the people under the leadership of Aaron had drifted away from the Lord. They had become disobedient, so much so they weren't, they weren't patient. They weren't resting in the promises and the faithfulness of God. So they decided to make a golden calf. And there they're living in rebellion and debauchery as they worship the golden calf. Because of this, the scripture says that Moses went outside the camp. He took the tent of the Lord, the place where the glory of the Lord would rest, and Moses would visit with God. He set that up outside the camp. There was only one person that went with him. His name was Joshua. And the Bible says, Exodus 33, 11, that Joshua stayed in the tent near the presence of of God. Numbers chapter 13. It's time to go into the land. So here's the plan. We're going to send 12 spies. Moses picks one from each of the tribes of Israel to go in and to spy out the land. From the tribe of Ephraim, who did he choose? He chose Joshua, right? The 12 spies go in and they look around the land and they come back And your Bible says that 10 of them brought an evil report. That's the words used in the scripture, an evil report. Why was it evil? I'll tell you why. Because they were not trusting in the promises of God. They came back and they said, oh, man, there's some giants in the land. The sons of Anak. I've been called that a few times in my life. That just means you're really tall, right? There's giants in the land, man. I don't know. We can't beat them. It would, you know, it'd kind of be like if you were if you were picking your football team and you were looking for your offensive line, you'd pick the sons of Anak. And so fear got into their hearts, and they come back and says, "No, there's no way we can do this. They're too big. They're too strong." But the Bible says in Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 to 32, that Joshua and Caleb said this: "We are well able." We can do this, not because of their own strength, but because they knew God was on their side. We can do this. His faith is strong, and it just reminds me there for just a minute before we move into the text that that sometimes when you step forward and you do what God calls you to do, what he wants you to do, you are going to be in the minority. There may be a lot of voices around you saying, we can't do this, but with God on our side, All things are possible. Say amen right there. Numbers chapter 27. The moment came. God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to take your hands in front of the people, and I want you to put your hands on Joshua. We're going to have a deacon ordination next Sunday, and we're going to place our hands on some leaders in our church. We're going to challenge them and We're going to pray over them next Sunday. Here we see it in Numbers chapter 27. Moses, I've chosen Joshua, 
I want you to put your hands on him, and I want you to challenge him, and I want you to challenge the people because, Moses, Joshua is going to be the one leading them into the promised land. Let me unpack this a little bit by getting into the text, all right? Here we find Joshua chapter one and verse number one. We find a change of command. This series we're titling Heading Home. Heading Home, as we go through the book, God's faithfulness and our obedience. Today, the first message is in Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine, as we see the change of command, the change from Moses to Joshua. The first thing I see in this change of command as God speaks to Joshua is that Joshua is to follow his direction. Follow God's direction. Look in the text. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, God comes to Joshua, and he states the obvious. Joshua, Moses is dead. Now, I can just see Joshua go, God, no kidding. No kidding. You got to pause here for just a minute, okay? You have to do it. You got to pause and think about this moment and what this meant for Joshua and what it meant for the children of Israel. You know, back early on, Moses had a bad day, right? He had a bad day. He struck the rock. The people are murmuring and complaining. They're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against Moses. Moses is frustrated. He smacks the rock. Water came out, yes. But right after that, God said to Moses, Moses, you just messed up. You didn't keep your confidence in me. And because of that, Moses, you are not going to get to go into the promised land. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done all this study in the last few weeks. That's just really disappointing in my heart for Moses. It really is. Moses, this great man of God, this great leader, it just shows you how high the call is for leadership to stay faithful to God. Moses, you're not going in. So when we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 34, just the page before, if you got your Bible open, chapter 34 is God allowing Moses to go up to the mountain, Mount Nebo, and he lets him look out, and he lets him see the promised land, but it's there that Moses died and he is buried. Here's what the scripture says about him. Look at the last three verses of Deuteronomy 34. It says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like 
Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, can you even begin to imagine what Moses' resume looked like? Moses, come on now, let's get real here. Moses is the man. Moses is the man that went into Pharaoh and pointed his finger. Moses is the man that led them out of Egyptian bondage. Moses is the man that led them in their wilderness wandering. And more importantly than all of that, he is the man that knew God face to face. Joshua saw Moses come down from the mountain glowing with the glory of God. Now think about this. Now it's Joshua's turn to take his place. Now if you know anything about church, the church life and church world, if you take a long-standing pastor that has loved and led a healthy church, I just want you to know nobody wants to be the man that follows the man. It's a, look, it's a joke in the pastor world, I'm telling you. I don't want to be the man that follows the man. I want to be the man that follows the man that follows the man. In other words, let somebody else go in there and get chewed up and spit out and let somebody else go in there and hear for two or three or four years as long as you can last that Dr. So-and-so never did it that way, that Dr. So-and-so preached better sermons, that Dr. So-and-so was a better leader, that Dr. So-and-so always came to the hospital. Y'all tracking with me? Nobody wants to be the man that follows the man. But you know what? That's not what God had for Joshua. Joshua had to follow Moses. And get this, in the first chapter of this book, Moses is mentioned 11 times. Joshua can't get away from it. Let me give you one more little tidbit. You ready for this? He's called here in the first two verses, Moses' assistant. Moses is called the servant of the Lord over 30 times in the Bible. Joshua for the first time, is called the servant of the Lord at the end of this book. There are two things that God really has shown me in this study about that. Number one, Moses was obedient to the Lord to develop and to pour in to the leader that would follow him. That Moses trained him. That Joshua had that training ground from a seasoned leader who had been through the highs and the lows. And and Joshua had that front row seat to observe that and to learn from him. But at the same time, Joshua was no doubt humble and he was teachable. And the Lord prepared him for this moment. What I want you to see in, in these verses is that, that it was important for Joshua to listen to the voice of the Lord. Notice the Lord spoke to Joshua and he gave Joshua the direction for his life. Child of God, hear this. It is so important in our lives as we follow his direction that we listen to his voice, that we listen to his voice. How does God speak to us? Well, he speaks to us from his word. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. 
The Bible also says that he speaks in a still, small voice. Joshua observed in Moses' leadership that everybody had something to say. Everybody had the right plan. How many times did they attack Moses and say, we should have went back or give us a new leader? Joshua heard them attack him when he said, we can conquer this land. He heard the voices, but Joshua knew this. Of all the voices that were speaking, there was one voice that he needed to hear above all others. Church, hear me today, please. Give me your best ears for a minute. You and I are living in a world today where there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of talking. Everybody's got an opinion. You don't believe me? Read Facebook. Everybody's got something to say. But you and I, if we want to follow God in his direction for his life, we've got to get still and listen to his voice. How many of you believe in the craziness today that God is speaking? That God, y'all don't sound real excited about it. God is speaking. He's speaking loudly. He's speaking clearly. The question is just simply whether or not we are listening to his voice. His voice is the most important. When you're heartbroken, you still got to listen for his voice. When you're uncertain, you've got to listen to his voice. When you've got pressure on you, you've got to listen to his voice. When you find yourself at a time of transition, sometimes transitions are hard. You've still got to listen to his voice. How many of you have, not audibly, but you've had times in your life where you just know that God spoke to you? That you, you know God spoke to you. Yeah, man, I have too. Those are special times. Those are affirming times, right? Has God ever told you or shown you something he wanted you to do that absolutely scared you to death? We see that all throughout the Bible, right? When he called Moses, what did Moses say? God, I can't do this. I don't speak well. I've got a speech impediment. And you want me to go in front of the most powerful man in Egypt and say, let my people go. And we know that God used him in, in spite of his weaknesses. Sometimes God calls us to do things and we go, God, are you sure about this? Notice what he tells Joshua to do in verse number two. Therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Joshua, here's your first task. You ready? Cross over the Jordan River. Now, if you read chapter 3 and verse 15, the Jordan River at this time is overflowing. The water is up over the banks. And so Moses got the nation... And God says, I want you to lead them across. For God guides, he provides a way. And, and Joshua's in this moment of listening to his voice. And, and what ties into that, the second thing uh, under following his direction is that as you listen to his voice, you must, we must rest in his promises. You remember when I pointed out a few minutes ago Moses rehearsing, Exodus 17, 14, what God had done with the Amalekites. 
here's a moment. Here's a moment where Joshua has seen the faithfulness of God to do the impossible, and now Joshua believes him that he's going to do it again. Did you know that's what the Christian life is really all about? Some, some people in our church right now are, are just going through some really difficult things. Don't know what tomorrow is going to hold next week, next year. The future is uncertain. God, what are we going to do? And God brings us to a passage like this to say, when you think, humanly speaking, that some things are impossible and you've got insurmountable odds against you, with God, all things are possible. What we need to do is rest, just rest in his promises. Now, what promises did Joshua have? Joshua had a great, great, great grandfather who was down in the south, a pagan worshiper, if you will. And one day God visited him, and he said, Abram, I want you to pick up and go. Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, I want you to pick up, and I want you to go. I'm not going to show you right now where you're going. I'm not going to show you all the details but here's the promise that I am giving you. I'm going to give you a land, and from your bosom, from your body, there is going to be a seed that will be everlasting. Abraham, through you, all of the world will be blessed. You know what Joshua is resting in in this moment? He's resting in the promises of God that were given to his great, great, great grandfather. Now, church, remember this. A season may end, but the promises of God go on. A season may end, but the promises of God, they never, ever end. God wanted me to remind you today that he always keeps his word. The promises of God are sure. They are yes and amen. Verse number five reminds us that victory is already won. There's some challenges ahead for Joshua. There, there's the enemy in the land of the Canaanites. There's some things that look difficult, and, and, and all the details are not clear, but God reminds him that victory is already won. God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, look around. Look in the book. I have already proven myself. Is there anybody in the house today that could say in your life, amen and amen, that God has already proven himself? So he wanted me to ask you today, why are you doubting him? He's proving himself over and over again. What God is calling us to do in our life, just like Joshua what God is calling us today to do is to follow his direction, to listen to his voice, to rest in his promises. When is the timing right? Right now, right now. Now is the time to follow him and to listen to him. And, and we see here in Joshua 1 that the children of Israel, the timing is right for them to go into the land. You go back into Numbers chapter 13 and 14. 
after the rebellion against the people, what did God say? Not only did Moses not get to enter into the promised land, but he said every person over 20 years old, they're gonna die, they're not going into the promised land. And so the generation that's going in here now are the ones that were younger than that, that had not gone through that particular rebellion. And so the timing is right for Israel to go into the land. The timing is right for the Canaanites. The scripture tells us once they found out about the 12 spies snooping around in the land, that great fear came over them. Why did that fear come over them? Because they knew that God was on their side. They knew the mighty acts of God. They knew what God had done. The timing is right. The timing is always right to rest in his promises because his promises are sure. Adam, he said, every promise in Scripture is intended not as a sedative, but as a stimulus to execution. I love that. I love that. Every promise of God is a stimulus to execution. In other words, get busy doing what God has called you to do, and God will be faithful as you do it. Joshua, follow my direction. Number two, verses six and seven, he tells Joshua, Joshua, you need to stay the course. Stay the course. Verse six, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Here it is again, verse seven. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses the servant commanded you to do. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Joshua, stay focused. Joshua, stay the course. Be strong. Be obedient. Be courageous. I'm right here with you. One of the things we have to realize, though, is that God was not telling Joshua that he innately in himself was strong enough for the task ahead. He was only strong because God was with him. We're weak. We are frail. So was Joshua. 3,400 years ago for the task that he had. God was not saying, Joshua, come on now, be a self-made man. Do the job. He was saying, you're going to be strong because I am strong. Do you remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house to pick the new king? And all of Jesse's sons came out and walked in front of him, and he's kind of scoping them out. You know, it's kind of like the maybe the draft for football or something, right? He's looking and which, which one really looks the part? And there he is. There's a live, big, strong, strapping dude. Looks like he would be perfect for the military. And Samuel says, this is the guy. Surely, surely, this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, Samuel, that's not him. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And to you, he may look strong, and he may look like he's the guy to do the job, but he's not the guy. The guy that I picked is a little red-headed teenager out there watching the sheep. A boy by the name of David, King David, 
a mighty man after God's own heart. He was only strong. He was only strong because God had called him. God had put his hands on him. God had empowered him for the task ahead. Look, for Joshua, there are some tough days ahead. There are some tough battles ahead. As a matter of fact, as we go through this book, you're going to see some things that are humanly impossible, but with God on our side, all things are possible. Be strong. Be courageous. The days for weeping are over. It's time to move forward. Joshua, I've got your back. I'm your strength. I'm going to see you through this season. We grew up on Avenue uh, P in Central Park in Birmingham, and uh, we had a bunch of boys our age that lived in our neighborhood. I say a bunch. There's probably six, seven, eight of us. And, uh, you know, we broke a lot of windows playing baseball growing up, you know. And uh, we played football and, and other things. And so we'd go outside. Some of you met my older brother, Chip. He's about four years older than me, and he's just a giant of a dude. You think I'm big, you ought to see him. He's a giant. And Chip played football in, uh, in high school, and Man, I saw him just absolutely cold cock some people. You know, he played defensive tackle and he could hit and he was just vicious and whatever. And so we'd go out in the neighborhood and, and uh, we, we'd want to play football, right? We'd get a, a teams together and I'd be standing there, I kid you not, and I'd say, hey, me and Chip, we'll play all of y'all. We'll play all of y'all. I'm not exaggerating. And here I am, I, I knew that my brother was just going to knock him out of the way. He's going to hand me the ball, and he's going to just, my brother, I t there's no telling how many T-shirts they just ripped off of him, you know, playing football. You know why I was able to say, we'll play y'all? It wasn't because of me. It's because I had my big brother standing over my shoulder that made the way. Now, that's a really lame illustration to say that no matter what we have in front of us, the task that God has called you to, we have God on our side, and with him, we've already won. We're the victors. Be strong, be courageous, not, not in your own might, not in your own might, but in the might of the Lord. I love what Dale uh, Ralph Davis said. He said that Joshua is to be strong only because Yahweh is with him and not because Yahweh prefers leaders who are positive thinkers. So maybe you're here today and you're going, oh, well, I just can't do that, or, or, or I'm not cut out for that, or I'm not, oh, yes, you are. If God calls you to it, that's exactly what you're cut out for. God's on your side. When God is with us, he gives us his strength. And what God wants us to do is so important. God wants us to stay the course, to stay the course. So many times in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, you see that the people of God did not stay the course. Joshua had the front row seat for the mistake that Moses made. And now Joshua is tasked with not falling aside. How about this? How about when in Genesis 32 to 34, Moses was the only one, the only one, that was still seeking the right relationship and covenant with God. And God said to Moses, Moses, I am fed up with them. As a matter of fact, Moses, I'm fixing to wipe every one of them out of my book. I'm erasing them out. I'm done with them. And Moses begins to intercede. 
he begins to intercede and he begs God on behalf of the people. And God says, okay, Moses, okay, all right. I'm gonna send you forward. And then that beautiful passage, Exodus 33 and verse 15. Moses says, God, no doubt he was tired, he was weary, he was frustrated. But he says, God, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go. But I'm not gonna do it without your presence. I can't do it. I can't do it, God, unless you go with me. What kind of revival do you think we would see in our homes if we had dads and husbands praying that prayer every morning? What kind of revival do you think the Point Church would see today if the pastor and the staff and the people, all of us today in this room, every day we, were, we would say and pray, God, I know we've got a lot ahead of us, there's work to be done in the kingdom, and we can't do it on our own. God, we can't go unless you go with us. We can't do it. Joshua understood that he would never accomplish the task. It's his track now. It's his turn. He's got to stay on course. I love what Philip Keller said about Joshua's life, and I, I think this will speak to you. Philip Keller gave Joshua a very high compliment. We know the what the Bible says about Moses, but, but he said, he, Joshua, has seldom been given the full credit he deserves as perhaps the greatest man of faith ever to set foot on the stage of human history. That's a pretty high compliment, isn't it? Then he goes on to say this. In fact, his entire brilliant career was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another in quiet compliance with the commands of God, one foot at a time. What if we lived our Christian life that way, just one foot at a time? I was on the phone yesterday with a, a pastor in another state, and he was sharing with me just some things that he was going through, and, and we were talking about family and life and ministry and so forth. And, and I said to him, I said, you know what I'm learning as I get older? I'm learning to live an hour at a time, <laughs> to live an hour at a time. Now think about that in, in your life of Christian life. James said this, some of you are saying today or tomorrow, I'm gonna go into another city and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and you've got all these plans. And James says, oh, time out, time out, time out, time out. Your life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. You're making all of these plans, how about living in the now? Maybe some of you are worried about the future and you don't know where you're gonna go, where you're gonna do, where you're gonna live. And God just wanted me to say to you today to follow the obedience of this man and just stay the course, just stay the course, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other in lifelong obedience to God. How many of you just say, Pastor, I wanna live that way. I wanna live that way. Come on, let's live that way. Let's live this week that way. One step at a time, one step at a time in being obedient to the commands of the Lord. Joshua, follow my direction. Do it my way. Joshua, stay the course. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And then let me finish. He says to him, third, thirdly, in this change of command, Joshua, you got to live in the word. Live in the Word. How many of you, when you were younger, maybe in Sunday school or Awana or something, you memorized Joshua 1, 8, and 9? Any of you? Okay, a few of you did. 
great verses, right? I memorized them in the King James Version when I was younger. Bill, you appreciate that, I know, Bill Root. Um, and I was taught, and it's true, it's the only place in that translation that the word success is used. Now, in the ESV and others, it's, uh, it's used, I think, 13 times in the ESV of what it means to be a success. Now, I think this is so important. You and I are living in a world today where we have to maintain a biblical worldview. We have to do it. One of the reasons we're having some of the issues we're having in the church today is that we're playing the world's game on the world's turf. We have to keep a biblical worldview. What is success? From a Christian perspective, our success is not tied to our job, our status, our degrees, our pedigree, or the amount of money that we have in the bank. Here in Joshua 1.8, our success is directly tied to how well we one step at a time live in the word of God and then live in obedience to it. Look in your text, verse number eight. This book of the law, the CSB says, this book of instruction shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Live in the word. Real simple today. Real simple. Are you living in the word? Are you living in the Word? Are you reading it? Are you heeding it? Is it, I mean, is it an integral part of your life every day? I don't mean this in any way, shape, form, or fashion to be a condescending or to diminish whatever situation you might find yourself in in life right now, but I'm afraid as a pastor, I see this. So many times people are not living in the Word but they're crying out for help. And we are here for one another. And yes, we live in community and we lean on each other and, and we try to give each other biblical counseling and guidance. But watch this, some of the issues that may be going on in your life and in your family, it may be because you're not having a high view of Scripture. You're not having a high view of the Word of God. Joshua has a big task in front of him. He's got a lot of people to organize. He's got battle plans uh, that no doubt he's got to initiate. But God says to him, Joshua, if you are going to have the kind of success that I want you to have, you're going to have to live in the Word. What did Joshua have? He had the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? And so God said to him, you got to slow down. you got to slow down and study the Word. That word there I mentioned a minute ago, the book of the law is instruction. How many of you believe today that in this world, and we're talking a Christian worldview, how many of you believe that the word of God is our guidebook and our instruction? The instruction. So I'm going to ask you, how well do you know the instructions? Are you in the word? Church, are you in the word? Are you living in the word? 
Are you studying the instruction manual for this life? Joshua, you, you gotta sit down. You gotta, Joshua, you're busy. You got people coming to you. You got opinions. You gotta manage personalities. You gotta, you gotta have battle plans ready. But Joshua, I'm telling you, you gotta have some time where you sit down and you get out the book. So church, that's my challenge for you today. Make sure your calendar this week has on it Get out the book and live in it. Study it. Learn its instruction. Not only that, but he tells him to speak the word. Speak the word, right? In verse number eight, it should not depart from your mouth. Should not depart from your mouth. You know, we can talk about the weather and we can talk about sports and fishing and hunting and this and that and the other. You know what ought to be rolling off our lips on a regular basis? The word of God. We need to be speaking the word. Let Joshua, you got to talk about it. Uh, John preached a few weeks ago from Deuteronomy chapter six, the importance in our families of being of quoting the scripture morning and night and day. It's a big part of our life. Joshua, you got to speak the word. You got to speak it to yourself and you got to speak it to the people. And then he says, Joshua, you need to meditate on the word. Meditate on it. Psalm one is a, passage I learned years ago, blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, how often? Day and night. How many of you would just be honest today, and you, you would just say, you know, I struggle with silence. Come on, there's like six of us that'll be honest. I mean, you sit down, it's quiet, right? And then you, you're like, okay. And then your mind's like, whoop, you know, I need to be in there. Or I've got to go over there. Or the kids are over. What about, I wonder how they're doing. Oh, man, I wonder what, the, you know. And, and, and our minds are just going every which way, right? It's, I just, I'm being honest. I'm right here. I've struggled with meditation. Uh, Alfred and I were sitting on my back porch the other day, and it was just kind of quiet, and, and uh, the birds were chirping, wasn't not a lot going on. And, and we were talking about that just that spot in this world, in this world that we live in today, of just being able to sit down and meditate. Meditate on Scripture. Meditate on what God has said. And while we are meditating, say, God, I don't, I don't have an agenda right now. I'm here, and I'm focused on your word, and I want your word to speak to me, and I'm here to listen. Meditation. I love James Montgomery Boyce. He pastored uh, 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church uh, up in uh, Philadelphia for many years. Look on the screen. This is what he said about, you know, we have church, we have gatherings like this where the word is preached. We go to maybe small groups or you're in a Bible study. James Montgomery Boyce said, the missing element in all of this is deep, genuine, and persistent meditation on the word of God. It is only as the word of God gets into our minds and begins to become a part of our normal day-to-day -day reasoning and thinking. Haven't we talked about that the last couple of weeks? Getting our minds right? As it becomes part of our day-to-day -day reasoning and thinking that we can begin to act differently and thereby make a difference. Now let's connect those. Joshua, meditate on it day and night. Boyce is saying this, that you and I need to take the word of God, 
We need to meditate on it. We need to think about it. We need to quote it. I promise you, as I said last Sunday, I found myself over and over and over again in these last few days quoting Scripture, holding my hand up and saying, thinking on things that are honest, good, lovely, and of good report. Think on these things, because if I don't focus on that, the devil is going to have me thinking about other things. we got to meditate on the Scripture. And boy says, if we'll, take, if we'll take these nine verses today and we'll walk out of here and we'll live in them and breathe in them and pray over them, that it's going to affect our rationale and our thinking, the way we act and the difference that we make. I live with the Coleman family. Captain Obvious there. There's some people that I live with every day that I need to make a difference in their life. There are people that you live with every day you need to make a difference. There are people you're going to go to work with tomorrow. Tomorrow you're going to go and you're going to work with people that God placed you there to make a difference in their life. And the only way we can do that is by meditating and living in the Word. Last thing I'm done, he tells Joshua not only to meditate on it, But he says, Joshua, you meditate on it so that you will be able to do all that it says. Now, we entitled this series, Head and Home, God's Faithfulness, Our Obedience. I'm glad today that God is sovereign. He's faithful when I'm not faithful. Amen? He's faithful. But there's a call upon my life to practice and to obey the Word of God. Now hear me. One of those practices, it's said over 365 times. That's an interesting number. Over 365 times in the Bible, it says, fear not or do not be afraid. Fear not, do not be afraid. How many of you say, man, I've got plenty of time. I need to practice that, right? There's so many principles, so many promises in the Bible that I need to act upon, that God has given to me, and I need to to study it, I need to talk about it, I need to meditate on it, and I need to practice it. Let me say one more thing. As we read our Bibles and we study our Bibles, there must be times when we pause and let it settle into our hearts. How many of you through the years have gotten into a Bible reading plan, maybe in your church, you know, and the goal was to read through the Bible in a year? Nothing wrong with that. If you do that, that's wonderful. But I'm going to tell you what I found in my life. That caused me to speed read so I could get it done. And I missed a whole lot of good things in there because God wants us to read it, study it, heed it, and meditate on it. Would you stand with me? So today as we just begin this this series of Joshua and the conquest of the land, as we think about this change of command and what God has called Joshua to do, I remind you today, child of God, there's a call of God on your life, every one of us. It's not just for pastors and preachers and people in ministry, full-time ministry. Nope, there's a call of God on all of our lives. And as we fulfill that call, We need to diligently follow his direction. We need to stay the course. 
and we need to live in the Word of God. Would you bow your head with me in prayer?